Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Biomass. We're on episode 131. I want to thank you all for joining in on us, either through the stream on our Twitch account or on the website, or if you're picking up us on the recording after the fact on our website at biomass.net. Uh, we've got the usual crew here today, um, and a pretty good list of topics, and uh, one important question I'm going to kind of propose, and we'll, we'll let people mull that over, and, and we'll talk about it at the end. So, before we get started with that, let's do some introductions, starting at the top of the list with Sarizel. Hi, I'm Sarizel. Um, I'm a uh, member of the PC Master Race, um, and uh, I, I play a lot of Blizzard games. Have you been picking up Overwatch since the fix, or is that still forthcoming? Um, I've, I've played a little bit since, um, with, uh, with friends being over. I've actually been playing Heroes of the Storm, which is, you know, their, their MOBA title. Um, in kind of the meantime, just to kind of mix it up. And again, cause really the, the draw for me is to come back in when they, when they push this patch out. Um, but, uh, and then the other thing is, again, as I mentioned, uh, you know, I bought, uh, Call of Duty and Titanfall and, uh, I, I know once the Overwatch patch comes out, I'm going to be playing Overwatch. So I got to get some of that in there, I gotta too. Get some of that in there too. <laughs> Speaking of Here's the Storm, we'll, we'll touch on this a little bit later. It was the topic that I saw kind of bouncing around, which which is kind of fun. So we'll, we'll touch on that in a bit here. But uh, moving along to Bait, introductions, man? Uh, yeah, hey, everybody. I'm Bait, and I'm a member of the, uh, the, the console uh, race. So no PC Master Race for me yet. Um, and I play games. And he plays games. All right, Livy, introduction. Yeah, my, 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 my toddler's gonna do the in, intro for me. <laughs> um, I'm Livy. Um, I am also of the console race, but I have a Mac, so PC isn't. Uh, yes, uh, you know. Um, no, no. <laughs> high functioning lush of the show, I will say. It's happening tonight. <laughs> it's later for me. Uh, and of course, I'm Pokey Traven. I am a member of the PC and console master races, and I co-host the show, and I write for the blog over on biomass.net. Uh, but yeah, so moving along to some of our topics, one thing that I wanted to start with, and this is kind of a, a question I'm going to proposed to the, to the group and, and to the listeners to kind of mull over and think about while we talk about everything else, but it's in regards to uh, you know our one of our favorites, Dust 514 and Project Nova. And so the, the question that I'm going to kind of propose here is that obviously with the advent of Project Nova, a lot of things are probably going to change between uh, what we were used to in Dust 514. And I kind of want you guys to think about what sort of things were not in Dust or things you would want to change from dust that you would like to see in nova and also think of something that is in dust that is very important to you you would absolutely want to see transfer over to nova so um for those of you who did play dust extensively and Olivia probably can't jump in on this one as much but for those of you who did play uh just kind of mull that over and, and think of a couple things on in both those categories and we'll discuss it at the end so i, uh, I want to share a tweet what was that i'm trying to look I, at i will, I will fill show. you in on on text chat but i want to share a tweet that i saw today okay. that i i enjoyed um uh, this is a CEO Pyrex has it has a tweet. Um, I don't know if you you've seen this yet, Pokey. I think so. Yeah. He said, uh, "Make at CCP Games great again. Greenlight Project Nova. Hashtag drain the fjord." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that last part. That's pretty funny. Yeah, I, I just it's just that slight little tweak. I I love it. So um, so that, I just, that's great. I just wanted to just randomly inject that. All right. Well, sounds good. Um, so yeah, going along to kind of our list of news topics uh, today. So one 
pretty important one that came up is that uh, Ghost in the Shell. Um, it's a it's obviously a, a very long running uh, series of anime movies and series. But if you haven't been paying attention, they've been working on a live action film starring Scarlett Johansson as uh, Major Motoko Kusanagi. And it's kind of been in this limbo for quite a while. And, and I know a few weeks back they released, we'll call them trailers, but they were like three-second clips um, to kind of tease what was going on with the film and as you know, as approaching its, its eventual release date. But uh, they released their first major trailer this week, and wow, um, <laughs> it, it's, it looks pretty cool. I, I wasn't really sure what direction they were going to be taking the movie because, like I said, this has been a very long-spanning franchise, and then they've kind of rebooted it several times and, and taken a look at the series and the characters from a different angle and different time periods, you know. Uh, throughout the years, but from what I could tell, this is actually, for the most part, basically a remake of the original Ghost in the Shell movie. There's a couple scenes in there that are very iconic and and clearly from the original. So uh, for me, it'll be really interesting to see uh, kind of you know how they they modernize it and you know present it with the live action medium opposed to you know the original anime style, um, especially since it's so old. Um, it, it's, it'll be interesting to see, you know, I mean, what, what are you guys' thoughts? I know that, that Zell took a look at it. I mean, I know you're familiar with the franchise Bates, not because he's lame, but, uh, what do you think? So I, you know, it's, it's really hard for me to judge it on a, on a, uh, you know, two minute trailer. Um, it, it, it's, yeah, I, I don't know what to, to say. I haven't seen the original movie. I don't think, um, I've, you know, I watched the, uh, the two seasons of, uh, the the show um and i I haven't seen anything outside of that so if it's drawing outside of that it's not something that's going to really connect with me um directly yeah i mean and that's that's something that's really important we kind of talked about this in the show uh, before we got started here that you know the main selling point of ghost in the shell is it's obviously a cyberpunk you know it kind of almost defined a lot of the 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 genre um, that we see in modern time with the cyberpunk genre but you know it the, the setting is, is important, um, and the action is, is actually pretty important, but really what makes it great is the philosophical discussions it has. And, and usually um, they're, they're, it's a different kind of discussion. So, I mean, there's, there was the two original movies, and then there was the, the two-part series um, that Zell mentioned called The Standalone Complex. And then I think there was a third movie called um, Solid State Society, and then there was another small reboot, like four, six episode, um, which was kind of a, again, kind of a different angle and look at, at the major. And each of these, you know, movies or series kind of tackled a different philosophical issue. And it was actually quite relevant. I mean, in, in, in Zell mentioned in the show earlier that the standalone complex, and if you've seen the, the series, it's, it's far too complicated to discuss, you know, right night right now, but if you have seen it, um, the concepts they discuss in there over the course of the season is quite relevant to kind of what we see now with like school shootings or mass shootings in general. Um, and it's, it's relevant. And this is an, this is not a, a really recent anime. It's actually kind of old and it's animation would fool you because it's really well done. It stands up to modern animes and the, because of the topics that they talk about are, are really quite relevant and important to a lot of the stuff we see going on right now. And so my concern is with, with this one is that because it does seem like they're taking this live action film in the direction of mirroring the, the original movie that I I am concerned that they're going to just kind of turn it into a eye candy actiony, you know, they probably, they'll probably nail the whole cyberpunk setting and, and the action, but I'm really concerned that they may not make it as 
uh, as much of a strong discussion about the, the topics that the original film had, simply because most people who see movies can't or don't really want to digest that much because it is kind of heavy stuff. It, it really is meant to make you think. It's not just eye candy. And I'm kind of concerned that Hollywood might take it that direction. Well, I think it's it's also it's really hard to kind of talk about a storyline as complex as that during the course of, of a single movie. Um, you know, I, again, I'm not, I'm well, not, they do, though, in the original. Not, so, I mean, that's, and, you know. right. Not, I haven't seen that. So it's hard for me to say. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it is generally pretty hard to get a really, really deep story through in a movie. And especially when you're trying to sell it to a wide audience, it's a high budget thing. So obviously they have to cater to getting as many people in seats as possible. Yeah. And, and, I'm I'm going into this one a little jaded because it, it is it's going to be difficult. Like you said, it, when you're making a high high budget production film, the key is you've got to make a lot of money in the end to make up for your production cost. And if you don't cater to the common denominator, that can sometimes you know go belly up. So you know I, I hope that they're able to you know draw in the crowds that will actually enjoy the film, but still have enough in there that those who want to kind of think a little bit deeper and, and go into the actual you know, nitty gritty of, of the, the philosophy and stuff can still enjoy it and get that kind of experience from it as well. So, you know, I'm, I, it's one we'll have to see. Like Zell said, in a two minute trailer, you can't really glean much of what the story is going to be about or what kind of direction they're going to take it. So, you know, feel free to take a look at it for yourself and, and kind of be the judge of that. But like I said, they've done a really good job at trying to mirror um, what was in the original film and you'll, you'll definitely get some nostalgia there. So I think it's definitely worth checking out. Um, and, and actually, on that topic, it's it's kind of interesting because uh, in the film, and this has kind of been a point of controversy for quite a while, is that the, the main character's name is Major Motoko Kusanagi, which is a Japanese name. But they've obviously cast a uh, Caucasian woman, Scarlett Johansson, to play the role. And there was a lot of controversy about this for a long time. People were very angry that how dare you cast a Caucasian woman for it. And actually, someone brought up a really good... Uh, reason for it online i was watching a youtube video about it and in the story the character is entirely cybernetic she is a human mind inside an entirely um robot body and so it's not uncommon you'll actually see this in the course of the series and the movies that she will swap bodies out periodically and you know usually they, they look similar it's usually a female um fairly thin athletic build but it is a different body you know and she will you know, freely move in and out of them. And so someone said, well, what's, what's so wrong with the concept that she was just happens to be in a Caucasian model body this time. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, that's, that kind of blows that, that counter argument out of the water like that. That actually makes a lot of sense. It does fit the lore of everything. And as I was digging through pictures today, um, someone actually took, took a side by side of the original um, Motoko from the movie, the very first movie, that's the one they're trying mirroring and then put a, a shot of Scarlett Johansson, you know, next to it. Um, and it actually, her facial structure lines up pretty well. Like I'm actually kind of impressed with the casting aside from the fact that Scarlett Johansson kind of fits the archetype that they will want to fill. I mean, it's kind of a black widow style character, you know, kind of female badass. but just from the way her face looks it's like, Oh, you guys actually did a pretty good job with that. So I have to say in terms of casting on that front, I was, I was quite impressed. Yeah. I've got the, uh, the movie opened up in another window and I'm kind of letting it, run through uh, on silent. I'll go back through and I'll watch it uh, after the show. But it looks really interesting. The visuals look great. 
Um, of course, I'm like two and a half minutes in, so you haven't really seen much. But you know, it I, I'm interested, uh, especially from watching the uh, the trailer for the the movie to come out uh, just now. Um, looks like it'll be a, it, if anything, it'll be a good action movie. So there's that. Oh. Yeah, and I mean that may be the saving grace, and at the very least, I can go and enjoy it for that. Um, even if it's not going to give the full experience that I would like, um, I think at least it'll be done well because you know this has kind of been something they've been pushing around for a long time and in kind of trying to make happen, and finally it is happening. So I'm I'm hoping that at the very least they'll do that part right. Um, as far as like the setting and stuff, you can see that from the trailer. It looks great. So you know, I, I'm well, we'll have to see, but uh, I'm I'm trying to be hopeful on this one. And it's and it's got a long way to go. I mean, I think in the original, um, after it was done, and you have to forgive me. This is when I was like twelve. <laughs> um, I think uh, what's his name, Mas Mas Masamune, was kind of not happy that he didn't actually pin her character in the first movie. So that's why there's so many different iterations of it to try and pinpoint who she is in the development of her character um, as it goes along um, with more focus on the standalone complex was just really complicated to try and get, I think, to the English crowd because we're not really used to thinking like that. So I, I am interested to see how the movie portrays it in a way that keeps an English audience captivated. Yeah, and that that's going to be critical because this again these are these are themes that I think are very important, but things that you're not typically used to being asked or shown um, in a movie that's of of this nature. So you know we'll we'll have to see, and I, I think it'll be uh, a good a good thing to, to keep an eye out for, and certainly something that's that's worth watching for future trailers as we you know get closer to to the release time. So moving along, uh, I'll hand this one over to Zell because he's far more familiar with the series than I am. But do you want to talk a bit about what's going on with Mass Effect Andromeda? Well, the big thing is they gave us a uh, shiny uh, new trailer that was more than just like a teaser trailer. It's uh, almost two minutes. Um, so I'm excited because it's Mass Effect. And that's that's really that's really most of what I have there. Um, yeah. And now this is, um, of course... The, the original Mass Effect trilogy is, is done and over with, and this is they're taking it into a new direction where it's something that, uh, like someone like me who's not terribly familiar with the original franchise can hop in and, and enjoy, and I'm not going to feel completely lost because I don't I haven't played the other games. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of gonna be like a standalone experience. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I presume there's going to have to be some sort of, you know, the big question everyone's wondered is, like, is there any... Um, you know, is there any effect, you know, the end of the, the trilogy has a large effect on, on kind of the, the universe of, of Mass Effect. And so you kind of wonder, does how does it affect this game? And is there going to be any way to maybe input the choice you made in the trilogy or something like that if you did? Um, but uh, yeah, they're, they're going off into a new galaxy to, you know, encounter new things. So, um, you know, as far as who's on the ship, you're going to see the same races and stuff that you're used to in the original Mass Effect games. Um, but you, there, there should be new things and and new characters and and stuff like that. Um, it is worth noting though that uh, you should be going back and playing the original Mass Effect trilogy if you haven't, anyways, because it's amazing. And uh, even in the cases of where, like, you know, with Mass Effect two and three they usually have like a little kind of intro segue to kind of step you up through where, where the previous games went through story-wise. They're actually very good at that. 
you'll just have to get past the part where I kind of got hung up where I loaded a Mass Effect 1 and it was like, oh god, my eyes. Forgetting that the original game is, is actually quite old. <laughs> I was like, oh, I was... Start I'm, with I'm two. so used to seeing... Start with two. Start with two. Mass Effect 2 is the... Mass Effect 2 is the greatest game that I, I've ever played on a PC. I mean, and so I I'm say okay I'm the first I one. It's I, not gonna screw me up, or no. I mean, there's there's like there's stuff like if decisions you make in one, if you import the game into two, um, you'll see little you know little mentions of of decisions that were made in the first game, but uh, it's it's certainly not necessary. Um, Mass Effect Two is a is a beautiful game even today, um, and uh, it holds up a lot better I think uh, graphically um, if you know. Um, Mass Effect 1 was good, but it wasn't, it wasn't anywhere near what Mass Effect 2 is. And, uh, uh, Mass Effect 3 just kind of rides on two coattails. Two's the big one. Okay, I'll keep that in mind. It's definitely worth using to, to get into the series. What was that, Bane? I was just watching gameplay for one, and it really is hard to look at. Because <laughs> it's, it's old, I mean, it's an Xbox I title, the right? First one. I think so, yeah. I can't remember if I've played the first one. I've played both the second and the third one, though. I can attest how good they are, but goddamn, that first one's ugly. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's a dated title, but yeah. it's it is you know it is a good game. Um, and uh, the other thing worth noting is that the uh, the move up to Andromeda—they're actually switching game engines. I believe they're going to the Frostbite engine for this, so um, it should be very very up to date and and much shinier than the the existing Mass Effect games. Well, that's good to know. All right, then. So I'll have to definitely check out Mass Effect 2, and I can set Mass Effect 1 down, and my eyes will, will thank me for it. But uh, uh, moving along... But you, there, might, you another... might play 2, you might play 2, and then be like, you know what, now that I'm so drawn into this, now I want to play all of them. It might happen. True. It might happen. True. It could happen. I just got so used to seeing all the really sexy gameplay from 2 and 3, I was like, oh, yeah, it's going to be great. And I go, I was like, oh... Oh, right. This game is really old. Okay. Um, well, 2007. I'll do my best on this one. 2007. It's not that old. That's it's not that Portal old. came out yeah, in 2007. Think... Yeah, but Portal looked a lot better. <laughs> like, 2007 was, was a good year for games. 2007 it, no, it was. was a great was. year for games. I'm not discounting the, the quality of the game, but you have to admit graphics have come a long way in the last It's like know, Babylon 5. It's like Babylon 5 is a fantastic television series. It's a five-season show that was, you know, designed from beginning to end to be a five-season show. The story is great, um, but they they were the first TV show to ever use, like, CGI as a regular occurrence, and it's terrible. The effects are terrible. It's eye-bleedingly terrible um, special effects, but the show is fantastic. It's the same sort of thing. You just gotta, you just gotta push through it. I got you. I got you. No, trust me. I, I have. I'm actually been playing Final Fantasy IV on my Vita because I don't actually play Vita games on my Vita. But you know, you can definitely have a really engaging and good game without modern <laughs> graphics. You have a it just, it, you have a oh yeah, yeah. I got, I got roped into that one. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah. No, I mean, the, I'm sure the gameplay is, is fantastic, and and I'll, I'll definitely check it out. You know, the whole series when I when I get a shot, it's just. Uh, Trying to get caught up in, in time for Andromeda, I, I, it would not hurt to jump straight to two and, and kind of go from there. But uh, yeah, so moving along, uh, there's another thing that came out, another trailer. Uh, do you want to talk a bit about Valerian? I mean, there's not much to talk about, but, you know, <laughs> it's, I, it's your interest. I honestly, I watched this movie and I, I heard this trailer and I didn't really get what it was, what it was. I mean, there was space and sci-fi and pretty colors. 
but yeah. like it didn't tell me much about what the plot of the movie was it's like you know you watch the passengers trailer and you know you've got these two people and they they were on a cryogenic ship and they woke up too early and they don't know what's going on you know the plot when you see the passengers trailer you watch this trailer and you, you don't know what's going on it doesn't make any sense yeah i just saw they need to tell me more the dude from spider-man that's all i got from it and colors <laughs> like Joe said. For, for, the, for the first like 10 15 seconds i thought it was a guardians of the galaxy 2 trailer <laughs> just because of the music i was like okay okay wait what what is this shit i was so confused i'm like okay I'm like well it, it looks pretty it's you know it's kind of got this you know the direction that more more modern sci-fi um franchises are going it's, it's definitely got that look to it so you know again not not much to get from it but you know it, it looks it looks pretty i mean that's that's a good shot but yeah not much going on with, with understanding what uh this is about but you know if you're if you're a big fan of sci-fi films it's probably worth keeping an eye on just at the very least it looks interesting and uh yeah well the part that really caught me though is i actually had to ask Zal, I, was, I was very confused because I, I didn't know anything about valerian i know very little about mass effect but i i thought for a second that it was actually related to mass effect solely because if you look at, and I've got some on the Twitch stream right now, if you look at the logos for the two, they both have kind of that swoosh, like cut through the main um, the main title block, and it, it follows actually the exact same line through, and I, I was like, are these related? Like, is this like something that I'm not understanding from Mass Effect, that it's, you know, like a side star they're doing a movie from? Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of funny, but it's... And it's actually, it's, it's, it's apparently fairly old. It's, um, I, I'm looking at this, it, it was based on a, um, Science fiction comic, which was uh, published in 1967, or first published in 1967. Yeah, it's French, apparently, and it looks like, according to Wikipedia, that the uh, final installment um, was published in uh, 2010. So That's so, fairly recent, actually. Yeah, and, you know, it you know, has obviously lasted a long time, so it'd be interesting to... Just to see how 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 much they pull from the the comics um, into the movie. If this is going to be based on you know the 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 comic book, or if it's a brand new story. And I, I can't say I've ever been too familiar with a French sci-fi story specifically, so it, it should be interesting to see how you know cultural differences and how they how they do that different from us and whatnot. Okie dokie. So. One thing that I think Zell discussed last week, and this is the virtual reality theme park, and we kind of did some more some more research on it, and then uh, kind of looked it up, and it it's actually called the Void, and it is a VR theme park, and it's actually up in Utah, kind of south of Salt Lake. South it's the Salt only Lake reason you never go to Utah. Utah, exactly. And uh, <laughs> we, lose, we lose every Utah listener we have. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, Kelly Kel- Kel- Zell does. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm in Arizona, so much better. Uh, <laughs> but uh, basically. Uh, if you if you kind of look at they play it up and in, in their their trailer is is actually a little more flashy than the actual um, set. But if you look at the, the video on their on their website, it's pretty much this thing that kind of set up in a warehouse. But uh, you can kind of tell it, it's definitely the early stages. It certainly isn't like a big corporate sort of deal. It's it's probably a bunch of guys that got together and, and you know, developed some some good hardware and whatnot. But uh, basically, you go in and they've got different experiences. So there's one where it's like. Uh, you're creeping through like a, like a horror sort of thing. So they've actually got these foam walls set up, and you've got this cool like VR headset helmet, a like a chest piece that's also kind of connected to your legs, and then these gloves you wear, which you know track your hand movements and whatnot. And you walk freely through this environment they've set up. It's it's basically foam blocks, 
and you've got a computer on your back on your back in this backpack. So the whole thing is like a self-contained VR experience, but because it's it's already pre-set up and the walls are static, that the world in the VR you know the, the actual the digital part is set to match you know the, the stuff in in the real world so he's walking and they've actually kind of texturized the foam walls to be like bricks so you could actually reach out and touch the wall and in the vr world you're touching this like stone wall and in the real world you're touching you know it, it, again it's foam for, for safety but it's got like a texture on so it feels like you're actually touching it and yeah. so he's actually holding yeah. up this like lantern thing it looks like a stupid gray block in the world but he's actually it's like a horror survival where he's creeping through holding this lantern and you can actually look around with the light and stuff it looks really neat yeah the, so so you pick up this block which is you know weighted and it's got a handle on it like your lantern so it feels like you're holding up a heavy lantern and when you're really just holding up a block and then they they sh- show him kind of he's going through this this kind of um you know dark hallway or cave and and so there's cobwebs and so they they literally they show that they have like strings hanging down so you know you reach forward you're gonna feel like you're touching like a cobweb although i suppose it's less sticky um but but yeah so they they really try and get as much of the the uh real ex- the real feel experience to match what they're showing you in vr yeah and i mean another one of the, the big things they have is is obviously the first person shooter um where it's you know it's got an actual map and you can run around and shoot people and it's all you know projected in, in vr and it's you know it, it's it's pretty incredible i mean i'm actually i'm pretty impressed like i said the the setting looks a little humble but the 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 hardware they've developed looks pretty well manufactured and streamlined. And I think that, you know, especially as, as wireless VR tech is, is kind of coming to fruition, we'll start seeing more of this. I mean, the reviews online of those who have gone are absolutely stellar. I mean, people are like, this is, you know, incredible. It's, it's, it's literally unlike anything you've done before, which, you know, makes sense. But, you know, it actually kind of started as like a, like a Kickstarter GoFundMe sort of thing. And it's obviously turned into an actual, um, you know, full on business that they're doing here. And I think that, you know, it's, proving to be successful it looks really cool and i think that you know as they move forward this is certainly a, a market that that's probably going to thrive so the thing you were talking about the other the was it last week the battery pack uh, and you walked around for like an hour or whatever right yeah the, the chest okay. the chest harness actually okay. has a backpack on it that had a gotcha. computer system gotcha. in it. and you're actually already starting to see um other commercial products pop up where you can buy vr ready computers that are backpacks that are designed to be carried with you with a built-in battery pack and stuff so i mean this is definitely you know wireless is not sorry wired is not going to be around for very long that actually brings us kind of to our next topic here so uh this is actually pretty huge um because it's it, it the HTC Vive, which is the $800 headset, is kind of considered to be like you know the top tier. If you really want to go VR, get this headset. Um, and so that's $800. They've recently released um, pre-orders for they're calling the TP Cast, and it's basically an adapter that clips onto the back of the headset. And then there's a secondary component that goes on your computer, and it is purely for video transmission. So it is effectively making your Vive entirely wireless if you purchase this product. And I think it's going for $220 currently. Um, it's just on the Chinese markets at the moment, and they like sold out of their pre-orders like in 18 minutes. It actually opened on a Friday, Friday. so Friday. they're they're <laughs> they're out right now. Um, or they're sold out right now, and they aren't going to open up pre-orders for another month or so. But you know, th- this is a big deal. So, I mean, if you've got the capital to you know drop you know another 220 bucks on top of your 
you know, probably pretty hefty PC machine and your $800 headset, um, you're looking at, you know, fully wireless, uh, no backpack. It, it's literally just your, your computer is sitting, you know, on wherever in the room and you're free to walk around the room and, and interact and, and, and be free within your, you know, your, your, your virtual space, which is a pretty big deal. I mean, we're already seeing, like I said, wired VR is already out the door. Like they're already boldly just saying screw that we're gonna go wireless because that's that's what's necessary to give you know a proper vr experience because unfortunately with a lot of these headsets and i mean i kind of felt it with the uh, playstation vr when i got to try it out that the cords are not too annoying but you can definitely tell you wouldn't want to be walking around potentially tripping over them unless they were you know you had some special setup or something like that it's just you're you're going to always be confined to a seating position with with a wired setup and i think that already especially with the vive and kind of the way that they do their their virtual walls and stuff with their little sensors that you you're going to want wireless to really get a good experience and i think that's the direction it's going to go really quick i don't think the wires can be very around for very long and we'll probably see you know wireless headsets for the next generation for on on all platforms whatever survives it's it's going to be wireless i don't think you're going to have wired ones for very long and they're getting to the point i mean you can do it you can get that sort of performance network speeds these days are getting ridiculous you know there's theoretical wi-fi that can exceed faster speeds than anything you can actually get over the internet um so i could even see it as a network device or something like that using just straight up wi-fi at some point um but I don't know. They'll figure out what they need to do. As they said with this one, they said that the difference in, in latency is barely noticeable. And latency tends to be pretty pretty darn noticeable um, in a VR headset. So, um, And it'll only get better. It's not going to get worse. Yeah, and, and that's the key thing. And, and the primary reason why I'm holding off for now is it's like it's going to get better. It's going to get cheaper. Um, and especially as... You know, they, they develop this and push it forward. A lot of these attachments and bonus things you have to purchase are just going to be considered, they're going to be part of the package. You know, it's not going to be a peripheral at that point. It's going to be, you buy your standard headset, it's going to come wireless, it's going to come with hand controllers, it's going to come with all kinds of cool bells and whistles. Um, and so if you're if you're not, like, you know, really into being an early adopter, it's it's not going to hurt you to probably hold off and, until this stuff kind of gets worked out and it kind of becomes more of a norm rather than, well, we're kind of figuring it out as we go. And I mean, they're doing a good job as they, as they, you know, push this stuff out, but it might be worth waiting just to see, okay, let's see everything you guys got and then bundle together and sell me the next version of it. Um, and I, I think that's, that's going to be pretty, pretty cool. And, and definitely as prices go down, it's, it's going to really help. And I think that barrier of entry being lower and lower is going to really help this, uh, this branch of, of, you know, media really take off. And, and speaking of barrier of entry, I mean, this is obviously with the HTC Vive, which is the most expensive one on the market. Like I said, 800 bucks for the, the base headset, um, which does come with the controllers, mind you. So that, that, that is important. But then, you know, another 200 on top of that. The price is getting up there. So, you know, for those of, of you who want to go a little bit lower, but not quite down to like the PlayStation VR level, there is, of course, the Oculus Rift. And I think the Rift has been feeling a little bit of a pressure from the other headsets. I mean, they kind of were the 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 name of the game when this is all under development and then the vive kind of came out of nowhere and, and you know kind of outclassed them and then you've got lower uh, priced you know options like the the playstation vr and uh, a lot of the new uh, microsoft ones are going to be coming out i think oculus is kind of going like, oh, well shit and we they took got the, our game they, they took the hurt on the the business side of things i mean i honestly it started right with the the amount of people that they that got put off by uh them selling to facebook and then they started messing with DRM and trying to gate out their software from running on other headsets. It, 
it's it's been a really messy messy time for them just beyond the technology of the headsets themselves well especially since that that price point when they launched people were like whoa like i was not expecting you know the six hundred dollar price point i i figured it would be 350 400 range and then they came out the 600 and i was like oh okay well never mind i guess i'm not jumping on that bandwagon and i think a lot of people felt the same way Usually, usually you expect, and and this is I've seen this change with some of this early adopter stuff. Um, but usually one expects that you pay a lot of money for the dev kit, and then the retail version is cheaper. Um, and this was twice the cost of the the you know the dev kit version. Um, Hololens is kind of doing the same thing because it's three thousand dollars for the dev kit, and you think, oh well, that's just because it's the dev kit. And they say, no, the final version's going to cost more. And then you're like, well, okay then. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that aside, another big issue with a lot of people that are that want to get involved with VR is that VR is very, very computer intensive. And it's actually a, a big problem for a lot of people. Like my computer right now, I actually, I bought you know several years back, but I, I put some decent money into it. And it was actually kind of on the, the, the medium to high end at the time when I purchased it. And obviously things your requirements go up and, and, you know, things get cheaper and it's easier to make higher end machines for the same amount of money as time goes on. So I understand that, but even I would need a slight upgrade. My, my processor is actually like just one, one tier slightly below what the recommended is for an Oculus Rift. So technically speaking, my, my computer probably could run a Rift without much problem, but I would, to have the best experience, I would really need to upgrade. And that's expensive. You know, it's something that some people may be willing to do, others may not be willing to do, especially since you just bought a six eight hundred thousand dollar peripheral and now you have to upgrade your PC on top of that. I mean, we're looking at very, very high barriers of entry. So one of the main problems with why VR is so intensive is that you need to have 90 frames per second or higher, typically speaking, because of the nature of what you're doing, it's messing with your eye in that it's it's filling your entire field of vision or most of your field of vision. So in order not to get sick because you're, you're, you're filling your entire you know, field of vision with this, you need to have a very high frame rate to a point where your eyes can't really distinguish that it is a virtual screen opposed to real life. And you can get away with it with like a computer monitor because you're looking at the room around you and stuff, you have a point of reference. With VR, it's a little bit different. And so 90 frames per second has kind of been that standard, and that is obviously much higher than most games typically run um, on a standard system. I mean, usually they shoot for, for 60, but you know, they, they will go higher with, with better rigs and you can usually, you know, throttle that up or down as you see fit, but 90 is, is higher than normal. And this has pushed the prices of PCs up quite a bit. So Oculus Rift has come out with something they are calling asynchronous space warp. Um, it's, <laughs> it's a stupid name, but effectively what it is doing. And I, there's really no details on how it actually works it's just something that they are releasing and saying it will work and it's, it's it will help is that it lowers that required amount of frames from 90 in half down to 45 frames per second and says that it still gives you a similar like like, like a near similar um experience that you can still actually play the games at 45 frames per second and still get a, a smooth comfortable gameplay um, and this is really critical because 45 is much, much easier to pull off than 90 for most rigs. And that'll allow you to own an Oculus Rift and play games at that lower frame rate with maybe a more modest setup. So you don't necessarily have to upgrade your PC to get a good experience out of it. Now, they do say, we really do suggest you shoot for 90 and developers should try to program for 90. But 
you know, if people have to drop down to the 45, 50, 60 range, they aren't totally screwed. So I think that however this works, again, there, there, there really isn't much details. This came out really recently. However this works, this is going to be a pretty big bargaining chip for Oculus Rift until someone else replicates it because it goes, yeah, we're not quite the best option, but hey, your computer that you have right now can probably run it. You don't have to upgrade your PC and our headset's cheaper. And I think that's going to be kind of their way of, of trying to edge their way into the market and maybe give themselves a bit of an edge that the others don't have. Because again, like V, they're like yep, 90 frames a second. Um, PlayStation VR, they they sacrifice um, some resolution for for to maintain you know the, the proper frame rate. So uh, the fact that Oculus will run on a lesser machine is actually a, a pretty big deal if it does indeed provide an experience that is comparable to the the, the proper 90 frames per second. Okay, so moving along, we have got some news from EVE Online regarding their new API. So I'm going to hand this to Zell because he's a bit more versed in this than I am. But do you want to talk about the new uh, ESI uh, API system that they're working with? Yeah, so um, basically there's this kind of standard-ish thing, um, which is uh, Swagger is is an API format that someone came up with. It's it's uh, actually relatively easy to, to make clients for it quickly um and uh in in a variety of different languages and it's kind of the kind of the new modern spec and so um eve has announced that they are creating the eve swagger interface or in implementation or something esi anyways which is the new the new api um which is now their their third concurrent api for eve online for for third-party tools which is kind of crazy um and kind of highlights how much eve places into its api which is you know for third-party applications is no other game does anything at this extent um but you know the old xml api is is ancient it's janky um it's survived for years and years and and um you know, then there was the whole carbon thing with with the Crest um, API. Um, Crest is, of course, the one that um, Dust five one four itself was heavily built around. Um, Dust five one four is effectively the biggest Crest client ever created, um, and Crest was you know used some of the some modern, relatively modern standards, but was still very much um, CCP's own implementation um, that they kind of they kind of home built. Um, and it really never, they never really never fully replaced the XML API with it. It, they, they were rolling out, um, you know, some of the authenticated access to info with it, and with the single sign on features and stuff like that. But it, I mean, I think most, uh, Eve stuff still uses the classic XML API. Um, and they've stated that they're going to retire both Crest and the XML API, uh, in about 18 months. Jeez, that's that's pretty big. I mean, that's that's good because there was issues with it, but uh, yeah, they're, they're moving forward full steam ahead with that, then, aren't they? That's yeah. I mean, they never they never had a commit committed date they intended to to retire the original API. Um, so if they're really pushing straight over to this that quickly, that's that's good news. Um, my my question is is um, you know, I I don't know if with with the closure of Dust, is there any remaining ties between the forums and the the Crest API? Um, I suppose I, I I wonder if it even matters because you know eighteen months from now, if we're still all on the Dust forums, commiserating about our lack of a game. Our- <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, but, I mean uh, that's 
I, I don't expect the forms to be around in a year and a half. Um, <laughs> it will either have something new or nothing at all by then. But yeah, I mean, um, it doesn't it it doesn't really affect us too much at this point. But it's you know, um, crest is uh, you know dust spread and butter, and uh, it's already on the way out. And they made a big deal about crest when it came out that that was going to be how they were going to handle um, <laughs> the infamous. Uh, PlayStation Vita Neocom app that we were all going to have so we could build fits uh, on the on the run with our, our Vitas and upload them to our dust character and then we could play with them later. I mean, that was that was the whole big thing with Crest, that it worked both ways and that it was going to be just, you know, read-only, that sort of thing. And, you know, obviously nothing became of that Vita app and, and they really never fleshed out the kind of that, that dual direction sort of deal they had going. So, you know, it's a shame that they made such a big deal about it and it ultimately meant nothing and now is being replaced by something better well i mean really this is i think this is really the last bit of carbon to go um because you know uh, for for people who need the the history lesson is um you know back in the day um and this was this was like the when i when i'm saying back in the day i'm talking uh walking in stations and world of darkness era stuff um ccp is like we're building this whole new engine we're gonna have this you know state-of-the-art all this shiny graphic stuff look at our shiny avatars walking around our shiny quarters um and they were going to use the same code base or, or parts of the same code base and engine for uh world of darkness when that was in development and dust um and uh you know the the original dust stuff was i believe using the carbon engine as as opposed to uh unreal yeah. um yeah um the 2009 uh trailers yeah you're referring to yeah yeah, yeah and so yeah, they have since scraped out pretty much all of what was previously called carbon um you know crest was still definitely a thing but uh it looks like they're getting rid of that as well so i they haven't used you know they it, they haven't used the the word carbon on anything recently so it it seems to me that their attempt to spin their own engine you know for this sort of stuff is is completely dead and you can see that with their you know preference now for using unreal for stuff and and uh uh this this api implementation is a, a very widely accepted standard as well well i think they realized that everything that ran on carbon exploded so they're like eh, you know what we'll just go with the <laughs> the engine that we know works and and their adoption of the unreal 4 engine has actually done them quite well and obviously uh valkyrie runs on that uh gunjack runs on unreal 4 and and you know, subsequently, you know, Nova runs on Unreal 4. So I, I think that it will probably be best for them to just adopt what they know is going to work right and then kind of move forward with that in mind and, and their, you know, behind-the-scenes infrastructure and also make sure that that's going to work, you know, the way it's designed because it was, you know, built around each other. So hopefully this will bring out a little more stability and, and actually allow them to do a bit more with it than they, they did prior when they're just trying to, you know, make their own engine work. And I think that this might be a good thing overall for, you know, all of their games that are running off of this system. Okie dokie. So uh, one more major topic before we go into our, our kind of the question I proposed at the beginning of the show. Um, and Libby can probably hop in and help me out with this in a bit. But uh, so The Division is, <laughs> I have a love-hate relationship with this game. And uh, they recently released, released their 1.4 patch. And I kind of have been waiting on, on talking about it simply because I knew that further news is coming about the next DLC. And I kind of wanted to bundle, bundle it all together because it is kind of related so the 1.4 patch they overhauled a lot of stuff they they changed how stats are uh, calculated they changed how loot drops 
Um, they change a lot with how uh, you can modify guns and skills and stuff like that, and in mostly just trying to rear in, rein in some of the the design choices they made early on that were causing a lot of the imbalance issues and a lot of the problems that were kind of making the game not fun and forcing you to go down certain paths and inspect certain ways because any other way would not work because you know the game was scaled around those those certain uh, choices that you were expected to make and uh it, it kind of removed a lot of the fun of, of kind of customizing and, and whatnot and it just it, it, it it's kind of what drove me away from the game uh initially and so the 1.4 patch came in and made all these changes and so we've kind of been playing that a little bit and just kind of getting a feel for it and, and they've done some things like bringing enemy health down but making you know the way your weapons scale a little more reasonable so the the gun, the gun game plays a bit better and you know for the most part i think they've done a pretty good job with uh Excuse me, with um, making the game a little more enjoyable, it's still lacking in content, and, and admittedly I have not purchased the Underground DLC, which is the first DLC they released, um, simply because I, I just didn't want to spend money on the game that was, was currently not working. And, you know, I, I wasn't entirely convinced, and admittedly there are still some issues with the way things are working, and they've acknowledged these issues, and there's coming out with a 1.5 patch, where they're going to kind of address, again, some of those remaining issues to kind of bring things in and, and make it a little more balanced and a little, a little more interesting to fit things and, and customize and whatnot, which I think is great. And, and they haven't detailed everything on that quite yet, but, you know, that is coming. But what's coming along with the 1.5 patch is the second DLC, which is called Survival. And this one really caught my eye, much to my annoyance, because I... I I wanted to give up on the game, so I wouldn't have to worry about it anymore, but this this has actually piqued my interest quite a bit. So uh, one of the big problems the game has faced so far is that there's a lot of power creep that, you know, you... you grind and grind and you get you get weapon drops and you try to roll for the, the optimal weapon and, and you kind of grind up to reach this optimal, you know, perfect fit. And then you go into PvP and you dominate because, you know, you've got badass weapons and gear. And the PvP in that game doesn't really appeal to me, but I didn't really like that that power creep. It was always kind of this, like, I'm fighting the curve to, to get up to the top to do the high-end PvE content and stuff. So the reason that survival interests me is the concept is that, okay, here's your, your agent character, and he has to go into the Dark Zone, which is the, the very high-level PvP area. And there's this blizzard coming, and you, so you're going to fly in, they're going to drop you into the dark zone to get some of these antiviral medications that you have to extract with. And that's, you know, that's the point of the mission. But something goes wrong, because every time in the division you get inside a helicopter, it is most definitely going to blow up or crash. Um, so the helicopter crashes in the middle of this awful, awful blizzard. So you're basically stranded, and it's in the middle of a snowstorm. And what makes it really interesting is that it resets your character to zero. You have no gear, you have no weapons except a pistol, you don't even have skills or cosmetic items, and those cosmetic items are important later on. And so what it is is that you're basically scavenging for resources. You're looking for better weapons, you're looking for clothing like coats and jackets to keep yourself warm because you can freeze to death. You're looking for food and water because you can starve or um, you know, die of, of dehydration. And so you're, you're constantly looking for resources, for heat sources, for clothing, for weapons and gear and armor. And you don't even have skills initially. So you need to find materials to craft skills, which is a little strange. But what's important is that you start with nothing. Everyone is at level, at level one when you're inside this session of survival. And the end goal is basically 
you have two hours because you're infected with um, an infection that's going to kill you. And you can find medication to kind of slow the infection down or, or you know, hold it off. But eventually, you, you, it will kill you. So you have to get out of the dark zone before this happens and extract so you can get proper medical care. So what makes it interesting is that it is actually an instance... Um, we'll call it a dungeon with 23 other players in there. And so there is a PVE version and a PVP version. So in the PVP version, you are all competing for resources, but you can also uh, you know, attack people to seal what they have. So if someone's got you know, a, a coat you need because you're freezing to death, you can choose to aggress them and, and try to kill them. But if you die, you are out. That's the end. You don't get anything for, for your progress because you died. So it's kind of this really tight risk and reward, like, okay, do I do I you know take this guy on? Are my weapons good enough? Have I found enough to actually you know aggress this guy? And it kind of brings this interesting dynamic of you're fighting against the environment, but you're also fighting against other players potentially. And of course, there's also very high level um, uh, NPC enemies as well that are roaming about, and so you're trying to basically work your way across the city to get to the dark zone to get inside there and extract what you need. And I like this because it's an equalizer. Everybody starts at level one. You are all equal. It does not matter your progress outside of the instance. You start at level one. And so it gives you a nice even playing field. It's a little more of a, you know, instance PvP session rather than kind of a persistent PvP session like you have in the Dark Zone where the stuff you've done prior matters. But here... It, it's nice and it's a little more fair, but also a little more hardcore because you have to contend with other issues um, that you normally wouldn't have to, like the environmental problems. And then there's also a PvE version, which is the exact same thing. You just can't actually kill each other. You still have to compete for resources. And, you know, if you kill the NPCs guarding a chest full of stuff and the other guy runs past you and gets to the chest before you do, well, you know he gets the stuff and you, you can't do anything about it. So if you're not into PVP, you can still get the experience, um, a similar experience with the PVE version where you don't have to deal with the actual fighting other players, which I think is good. That's, it's a good, a good way to take it. And, and the reason why I really like this is that there aren't level requirements. You don't have to be end game to do this. And this actually mirrors a lot of what I was talking about in final fantasy 14 with their deep dungeon system, where once again, you go in, no matter where you are in the game, you all start level one, and you work your way up, and you get new skills and stuff, and then you can kind of play with people that might be new to the game. So if your friend comes into Division, and they don't know what they're doing, but you're like, hey, let's go into the, the survival game mode, and we can you know, play together on equal footing, and we both get something out of it in the end that you know is going to benefit each of us for where we are in the game. I really, really like this style of gameplay. I like that option of, hey, you don't necessarily have to be at the same level or the same part in the game progression to play with your friends and you can also get a, a potentially a pvp experience that is a little more fair but it also has a little more you know, variety to it and what you have to do and i think that this kind of gameplay is actually really quite interesting and i it is unfortunately <laughs> making me want to buy it because it looks really really cool um which you know i i think is is going to be a good thing for the game they really kind of need to hit this one out of the park and I'd even argue that I think that this is the way the main game should have been, where you know you you actually are struggling because you are in a post-apocalyptic New York, um, opposed to kind of running around willy-nilly in the streets like you do currently. There's there's really not much danger. You don't really feel like you're in danger. Whereas with the survival game mode, you definitely feel like, wow, I got to be careful. I have to stay inside. I can't be out in the cold too long, or I'm going to freeze to death. 
Um, I, I think that actually kind of fits the setting a bit better than the main game does. But regardless, it, it, it looks good. Um, I know, Olivia, you, you've obviously been playing you know, 1.4 with, with, with the rest of us. What were your thoughts on the survival game mode? I mean, do you think it's going to be good, or, or, or what are your thoughts? Well, I think it's going to be good. I hope it's good. I think I'm going to let you buy it and watch you stream it, and then I'll decide. And then I'll decide. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like this is something that they should have had in the game all along, since it, you know, it's supposed to be some kind of survival. I feel like that's what they advertise it as, and they never really delivered that because you just kind of come in and you're you honestly feel invincible because you don't have to worry about anything. But you know how many bullets you have to put inside the boss. Um, I do wish that they would add the aspect of getting sick. You know, like if you come across like something come contaminated, across. you will ultimately end up with the disease, and you know maybe you can choose to pass it on to your friends or not. <laughs> Biological warfare. It's like that's, come uh, give me a hug. Like, give me a... <laughs> no, you raise a good point. I mean, that, that's kind of a, an issue I had with um, with some of the, the systems they had in the main game, with like the, the viral filters on the masks. That it seemed like they could have done a lot more with that, and it really just turned into a well. Once you're max level, you have max viral filter all the time. It doesn't matter anymore. And I think they, they probably could have played around with that a bit more, and it just it, it never really did anything. I'm, I'm not sure if they ran into issues internal testing, but it, it felt like a missed opportunity. And I, I wish more of these you know survival-esque uh, features were were in the main game and, and maybe amplified in the survival game mode, since it is you know meant to be a more extreme situation. But again, like you, you feel invincible, which you know players should feel strong. But if you're going to have you know a post-apocalyptic style thing you also want to feel like you know you're actually struggling a bit i mean that's what i like a lot about the fallout 4 survival mode is that you can get sick you you are you're still strong in the sense that your combat is strong but you have to contend with other things like thirst and hunger and and disease and stuff and it it makes it a little more interesting and and i I guess for some people they don't they don't like that but i i think that you know especially with kind of what we've seen like seven days to die you know it's fun to kind of have to deal with like well shit i'm infected i have two hours to live before i i I die unless i find some medication um i kind of like that that pressure of like, okay, I have to, I have to kind of balance other resources and, and whatnot to, to try to, you know, keep myself alive beyond just, you know, shooting and taking cover. Yeah. Not to mention like durability, like going back to the filters, I think your filters should only be good for so many, you know, visits into a canap- contaminated area, your guns. I mean, just more realistic things you have to think about if you were actually going to be out there finding shit and, you know. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I doubt they'll actually go back and, and change the main game, but I, I do hope that the survival pans out um, to be a bit more of the kind of experience I would I would like to have in terms of, you know, a more survival-esque uh, you know, gameplay. Now, one thing that I, I have kind of uh, had some concern about is that this, this is actually out on the uh, public test server, which is for PC players only right now. Um, and people are kind of saying that the, the survival aspects are a little too forgiving. They, it's not too hard to just kind of ignore them, or it's very easy to, to kind of get get around them. And I do kind of hope they ramp that up in some way, so it actually is you're really struggling to stay alive. Like I, I, 
I really kind of wanted to kick our asses with this and really make it brutal. And I hope that doesn't just come off as gimmicky, like, eh, okay, it's it's really just a 24-man instance, and I guess you can get cold if you stand outside for too long like an idiot. Um, like, I, I do kind of hope that they, they kind of amp those up and make it a little more interesting. Um, but yeah, that's that's you know, it's good that at least they've got that public test server out there, letting people give it a shot and try it. Um, I know that when they were testing 1.4 on there, there was a lot of changes that happened, and they, they made a lot of quick iterative, iterative changes, and you know, I, I think that that's a really fantastic thing to have for you know a development cycle, especially if your game isn't quite doing very well. Um, it is really helpful to kind of reach out to the players and, and get their their feedback on that sort of thing, and allow you to make changes really quickly um, to test things you know, in quick succession. You couldn't ever do that with a game like Dust because you had to go through the Sony vetting process. And aside from some hot fixes, you know, you you were kind of locked into this you know this certain time loop, and it was it was difficult to, to actually do proper development of a new patch or expansion that way. I will say that the way they're handling their exclusivity contracts is a little strange, though, because, like I said, that the public test server is um, PC only, and they're working on a console version. But you know, we'll see about that. I, don't, I doubt it'll happen, but it's PC only. But they have a an exclusivity contract with Xbox for the division where any DLC that comes out, Xbox gets it for a month I before loathe, PS4 and PC loathe, gets it. I loathe these in, huh, in every oh, yeah. way, shape, and form. DLC exclusivity contracts specifically are the most toolish way to behave a company can get because you're you paid for the same game at the same date but they're delaying your access to the rest of the content so you have a wider gap in your your gameplay of just waiting for something it's it's uh it's originally what uh, put me off Call of Duty and why I didn't buy a Call of Duty game for what 4 or 5 years did you triggered that I get something before I you do it's I, I'm triggered that anyone gets it before me. <laughs> it, well, it's, I'll let it's you know weird though because the yeah. day. <laughs> well, the thing is, the PC players get to test it early, and then they cut them off, and then they release to Xbox. Made the PC players wait a month, and then they let them let them play it again. It's like okay, I guess. It's like you're gonna you're gonna let me try it early, but then not really. Um, it, it's just it's a, it's a little awkward. Well, I mean, you know, depending if it's you know when it's a beta thing, it's like it doesn't count, you know. I've never really put a lot of time and effort into betas that I've played. Like, you know, I've had World of Warcraft expansion betas before, and sure, you'll check it out a little bit, but you don't want to spend a lot of time on it because you know it's all getting wiped away. I mean, there's there's a big difference between just going in and testing and getting to actually, you know, play. Play. I gotcha. You know, that's, that's fair. I mean, we, you saw that with, with Dust, too. They went through a lot of beta iterations before they, you know, released the game, and it was kind of like, well, okay, I don't I don't really want to try it too hard because it's going to be gone in a month, you know, and then we get to the next phase, like, okay, this is great. Uh, then it's going to be gone in a month, you know. Um, it wasn't until you knew it was going to be persistent, especially in this kind of game where persistence is, you know, it, it, looters are like that. I mean, it's all about you get to keep your stuff forever, which is which is important. So I can understand why it's, it's a little weird for, for the, the test server in, in this case. But at the very least, it is a good way to kind of get in there and get a feel for things early. Um, especially since they released it, they basically announced, like, yeah, we're doing this. This is what's available here, here, here. Oh, and by the way, you can play it on the test server in like an hour, which was which is kind of cool. It made me a little envious of of the PC players in that regard. But uh, you know, it, it is is good that they're testing, and I, I do hope we see this sort of thing in other um, franchises moving forward. Um, hint, hint. Uh, so uh, that being said, let's move on to our our kind of final discussion here, and this is of course back to what I. I 
asked at the beginning of the show, um, and I'll, I'll kind of repeat the question here, that uh, obviously a lot of things are going to change between Dust 5.4 and Nova. They, they are different games, but they're obviously, you know, D- Nova is inspired by Dust in, in, in a lot of ways, and we'll probably see a lot of cha- uh, changes, you know, moving forward. That being said, what sort of things did you dislike about Dust and want to see change for Nova or just want to see Nova because it wasn't in Dust? And what features in Dust do you want to see persist to Nova? Like what's really important that you really want to make sure it's in the game again? So uh, I'm going to start at the top of the list with Zell um, and kind of get your thoughts on what you want to see and, and what you want to see change. Eve Link. Which one is that? <laughs> Is that one you you wanted, or I, I, you want them I, to abandon? I, I want the Eve Link. That's I want my connected universe. That's the the, the number one thing that was appealing to me, um, and uh, it's it's what I find appealing about Star Citizen, you know, and what I really found appealing originally about Eve walking in stations, Dust Five One Four. All of it was that interconnected universe, and that's what I want. Um, as far as what I I want to see um, that was not in Dust. Um, is I want um, I want maps to I want things to more things to exist that that get wrecked or destroyed or that move or that you know can spawn in different patterns or something. Um, I I don't want uh, I don't want to be on the exact same you know five six maps that look like you know no matter what planet or 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 ship you say you are on they look the same. Um, I want uh, I want stuff that looks lived in. Zell, two thousand map combinations. Bite don't me. even start with me. Bite me. Do not even start with fucking eighteen quintillion planets. Eighteen quintillion planets. I'm not letting you trigger me. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think you could actually probably get away with because at least if you are in a ship, you know what the ship is. The ships are always going to have the same layout, but the stuff inside the ships will obviously be different. And I think that's actually a lot easier to pull off than, you know, a truly random ship, which wouldn't really make sense since they are, you know, effectively stock. Um, I think that'll probably be a little bit easier to pull off um, for for, like, for Nova in like, terms of map variety. Like, honestly, what I wanted was like, and this this would apply equally to ships as, as planets, but you would see, you'd be on a bay, uh, a map, and it'd, it'd be, you know, whatever the, the um, uh, what do they call it? I don't know, it's the one with the rocket ship. Um, anyways, you'd be on this map, and it'd have, like, cargo crates lying around. And that's cool, you'd expect cargo crates to be lying around, but why are they all lying around in the exact same places all the time? Give me some variety, let us blow them up, you know? You know? Mm-hmm. They're crates! Why are these crates, like, made of, like, Nokia or Game Boy? I mean, seriously. <laughs> That's awesome. I dropped I dropped my Nokia phone on uh, the cement like t- two or three times last week. It skidded all over all over you know cement, and it's it's undamaged completely. Well, the cement's probably broken, but the phone's probably fine. Yeah, yeah. the the uh, The phone walked away. The cement's still there, <laughs> still down there, still down there. Okay, <laughs> it's still on the ground. Um, all right, so, uh, Bate, what's something that you would like to see change between Dust and Nova? <sighs> the fucking terrain? Okay, this is something I want, I want to go off about. We were talking in, um, was it the Biomass Discord channel before, um, uh, before the show, and Logic Loop was on. God bless Logic Loop, uh, Logic Loop, dude. I love that guy to death. He was talking about how CCP built their own, uh, terrain 
thingy, right? Built built their own damn terrain, right? With fucking duct tape and whatever else, and then had to build their own um uh floral stuff, right? Floral did you did stuff, you see right? that? Did you, did you see that? Pokey? Yeah, yeah. He's seen that they they built their own terrain engine for yeah. some reason, even said yeah. he was using the one they had, and they built a fucking plant engine because for some reason, because that was the, the most important thing to do, apparently. Burning trees. Burning trees. But yeah, can we not do that? That's one thing I don't want to see in, in Nova. I don't want to have to, like, press X 40,000 times to jump up a small incline. That annoyed me to no end. So that's what I don't want to see in Nova. I want to be able to walk up a hill, you know, like a normal person. And if I it's too able, high... I want to be able to sprint up a hill. The, I mean, be, yeah, these are mech suits. I want to be able to sprint up a we hill. We better be dude. able to freaking run up hills. Come on. I want to jump up the hill. Like one big jump. Whoosh. You want to you want to jump the hill. You you want to yeah, be like. I want to clear the damn. Thing. You want to be Superman. That's what it exactly. comes down to. You you want to leap buildings in a single single bound. So logic loop, make that happen, please. Alrighty, and what what's something that you would really like to see transferred from Dust to Nova? What's really important to you that you'd really want to see in the game? Oh my god, dude, the social the, the social tools would love. So you're talking about like corpse, like, all that stuff. Yeah, corpse and you just everything about them, right? Everything, literally every social tool that we had in Dust, I want that in Nova. Just as a personal curiosity, how important was it to you being able to talk directly to Eve players in the chat? Like, oh, shit, was that something that was oh, critical shit, to you, or or was it just kind of a gimmicky, you know, Dude, not that useful? You mean you could actually talk to Eve players? No way. No, no way. Kind of okay, there you go. I think I, I think I used it once. And the 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 one time I did it, the Eve people were like, "This is fucking stupid." I'm like, okay, whatever. So we never used it personally um, for uh, for either of the two corps I was in for my previous corp and, uh, and Incorruptibles, just because it, it really we didn't do PC or anything that required Eve people. So it's just, eh, okay, it's cool. They're in local and they're saying hello, and we're saying hello back, and okay, ha ha. Okay, yeah, I was just kind of curious because that's that was kind of a topic in the Discord chat as well. Is that if there is no Eve link, um, you know, gameplay wise, there's no orbitals or anything like that, no no uh, economy link at least initially. Is it critical that you're able to chat with Eve players? And it's like there's no reason why they really couldn't do it, but there's also is there really any reason for it if there is truly no connection between the games and i think that you know that's that's kind of up in the air um I, i'm not really sure how i feel either way i was just kind of curious if it was a feature that that was important to you um as a player if, if you you know really use that a lot or if it was just there um and you just it was like oh well yeah it's, that's cool i guess i mean i know a lot of e players use third party uh voice chat because they hate the end game one i don't blame them uh so it was difficult to get them to actually come on to chat with you know uh, dust players in game on, on voice comms just because it was kind of a pain in the ass so it's just kind of a, just a personal curiosity of mine honestly if they're going to do something like that they should make the eve link something better than um being able to talk to them in the same in the same channel yeah and, and honestly this is a bit of an option yeah yeah in in, in people may not like it but honestly the direction that they've been taking 
um, Valkyrie and Gunjack. Uh, Gunjack is obviously a single player experience, but Valkyrie is, is multiplayer, but doesn't have the kind of social tools that you would expect from Eve Online or, or Dust. Even it's certainly not the ability to talk um, in real time to to Eve players. I feel like the direction they're taking it is not so much we're going to have a single shard universe of all of the games play together and talk together. It's going to probably be more of a they exist in the same universe. They reference each other but that's about it they're going to be standalone entities i i feel like that's probably the direction they're going to take it even if that's not going to make too many dust players happy but mm. just from mm. from a kind of a, a pattern at the very least it would feel almost a little strange to be like okay well all the other games are unrelated but we're going to link these two even though they don't actually do anything with each other because i mean as we know they've already said there is no eve link at launch um at all so don't expect one. Um, Rattati's not even a fan of a big fan of Eve, anyways. So I, it's not going to be a priority anytime soon. So I, I, I don't know if the social interaction is going to happen um, because there just may not be a reason for it um, in terms of you know, what the developers see it as. Even though it, it would be nice, um, it, it I, I don't expect it to happen. Yeah, I, I agree. It would be nice just to say, you know, just to just to say, hey, these two games, you know interact with each other you know this uh spaceship game and then the shooter um for just bragging rights i guess um i don't know how i feel about them not you know having some sort of eve link you know in the in the grand scheme of things um i think it's fine if they don't have one at launch but i would like to see one honestly just because i mean at this point unless you can work out something uh you know give it a reason to um but that's just me i'm just saying star marines coming out in the next uh, star citizen patch and it's going to be integrated with you know their their spaceship game and as it is you can already you know board someone's spaceship and then shoot them in the head and take the ship why don't you just go play star citizen then dude because it crashes my computer a lot because because pc master right interchangeable parts right right <laughs> because the star citizen the flashlight is more dangerous to your character than a gun is because <laughs> it might you know, fall off and, and rip your head off <laughs> I, I can just imagine this, this random kill because you're fighting on some ship and the pilot like turns the ship at a hard angle and someone's gun falls out of their hand and it cleaves someone's head off because you know physics explode oh, when you try to do a million of it once i know we talked about this in the past where they were having an issue where the it was i think it was the, the character's flashlight on you, his you chest were coming yeah, you were, were spontaneously yeah. dying because <sighs> while they were in flight the the head the flashlight would detach and it would be just like still and so hence your pilot would pass through it at the speed that the spaceship was flying <laughs> which is bad for pilot's health apparently it's one of those things that it kind of oh, reminds yeah. me of, I don't remember which game it was, but there was a game that was building that, like, I think they, like, used the physical properties of cement when designing, like, how their buildings were going to work. And then they, they couldn't figure out why their buildings kept falling over. And it was because they didn't know about how they, they hadn't, like, programmed rebar into the cement. You know, sometimes if you make your game too real, you start to create problems you didn't expect for yourself when something else is missing it's because the universe has a better processor than your 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 home pc does so the universe does yeah. have a better processor because you know even even the uh you know even like agnostics and atheists in some cases are saying you know hey there's there's proof we may live in a simulation so 
So, you know, it's you a pretty, it's a pretty good one. I mean, CCP should take notes. <laughs> All right. Um, so I guess it's my turn. Um, we might give Livia a pass on this one unless she wants to hop in since she you know, obviously didn't play Dust. But uh, uh, yeah, I was hoping uh, you get because I'm like, I think I played Dust for Nikumlu like you know three hours. <laughs> yeah, I, I tried to drag her into it, and she was like, "Oh God, this new player experience is terrible." I'm like, "Yeah, that's right. I forgot. I'm sorry. Just just sign off. It's it's oh, not worth your suffer. You're suffer." Um, but yeah, so for me, I, I think, what would I change? This kind of piggybacks on a lot of, of what we talked about last week with, with the map design, but I think spawning mechanics um, is, is a real, really important topic that I, I, I really want them to kind of look over again. I, I did not like the way that spawning worked in Dust, um, particularly with, with the way it interacted with game modes. I, I think that that's something they should really look at, and it is obviously part of a much bigger issue um, in terms of map design and game progression and, and how gameplay actually plays out. But I think spawning is something that they need to not just copy. Um, I, I think that'll instantly bring back a lot of serious issues that you had with, uh, with particularly PC was where you really saw it the worst. But you, you, in pubs as well, just the way spawning worked was was bad. And I think there's a lot of other options they should explore to, you know, fix that and not do it again. In terms of what I would like them to keep. On a personal level, I think the part that I enjoyed the most was probably the fitting system. Um, I, I really liked the theory craft behind it. I mean, I'm obviously self-proclaimed, self-proclaimed uh, Excel, you know, wizard and, and, and addict, but I like the theory crafting. I like, you know, breaking down all the possible combinations of, of what you could fit a suit with and, you know, tweaking little things and how can I eke out a couple extra power grid here to make this fit. And, you know, there was so much you could do with it that, it really lets you tailor exactly for what you wanted to do um, in a given game mode. I mean, you have people that were complaining about having not having enough fits because they need like 50 different fits to, to do what they wanted to do. And while that might be a little, a little extreme, the fact that you have people with like 50 different loadouts means that to them, it's important to have that level of variety. And I think you really can't get that unless you have something as you know interesting and in-depth as kind of the dust fitting system or the e-fitting system for that example. They're obviously very similar. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be too upset if they simplified it a little bit, um, just because I, I know that it kind of they ran into a lot of issues and they, they fought with the fitting system a lot, trying to get it to kind of work. And it eventually became so much of a problem that they started removing certain modules because it would, just, it would break things. So a little simplification is fine, or streamlining would probably be a better way to put it. Um, but I just don't want it to degrade down into your standard FPS loadout system where it's like, here, pick your primary and your secondary and your equipment and your grenade and you're done, to, you're good to go. I really don't want that again. I mean, even Mag, which I, I often, you know, hail as one of my favorite FPS games of all time, had a pretty simplified system. It kind of had like a cost system where you had like different weapons had different costs and you couldn't exceed the cost of your character. Like that was cool. It was like a really basic, you know, CPU, PG sort of thing. But you know, I, I do want more than that. I want that level of variety where you are really torn in a lot of cases of how should I fit this and have people sit there and argue for hours about, no, I should use this module instead of this module because, you know, of this, this, and this. I love that level of the meta where people can actually have really in-depth conversations about fitting and, and tweaks and you know, this is what I do and it's like, wow, that works really well in this situation but not so well in this situation. And I think that's that's really, really important and I, I do want to make sure that that, that makes it into Nova because I, I would be very, very disappointed if, if that level of, of detail wasn't, you know, part of the system. So for me, um, 
what I would change, uh, fix the fault responding system. Um, I, I drastically modify how uplinks work, make CRUs much more important, um, give other options for spawning. I think that's really critical. And for what I would keep, uh, a fitting system you know keep the customization if you want to streamline it a bit that's fine but again don't let it turn into a really basic generic loadout system that would be really really disappointing would actually probably do a lot of damage to my interest in the game so that's what i've got for that um but yeah so there's just kind of something i want to kind of go over and just you know and i do kind of want to try to hit up some of these nova related questions um every week to try to kind of you know keep the the, the podcast at least talking about it and then you know keep some discussion going rather than just spitting out gaming news every week so uh hopefully you know that's that's interesting to the, to the listeners if you guys have any suggestions for what you want us to talk about in, in regards to to nova or anything in particular you know please let us know and we're more than happy to help um is there any other topics you guys want to cover before we bring this one in for a close? Eve goes free to play, uh, or the Alpha Corn states coming on the fifteenth. Mm-hmm. In theory, so, they delayed it one week already. Let's hope they don't do it again. Nah, I don't think they will. So I'll be fine around in that for a bit. That'll be fun. Yeah, that'll be interesting. That'll be. We'll have to have Jadik on to to talk about his experiences with with Alpha clones. I'm sure you're going to see lots of deplorable activity. It'll it'll be. <laughs> Certainly worth uh, worth hearing about because uh, hijinks you know, will ensue. Whenever, oh yeah, whenever you can have free alts that can actually do things, shit's gonna go down and it's gonna be great. Alrighty, guys, we'll probably bring in the uh, shoutouts then and bring this one for a close. So uh, we're gonna start at the top of the list and we'll see if he's actually ready with Sarizel. Um, I am. I am not ready. Uh, you know, I, I think we should have a counter on the website of how many times Zell was actually ready, like a percentage of total episodes versus, you know, when you, you weren't really sure what you were going to talk about. All right, Bate, go ahead, man. Shoutouts. Um, yeah, so shout out to I went camping over the weekend. Um, so shout out to everybody I went camping with. Uh, had a fun time. Um, so quick story. So I come home from camping today, and my, my dog uh, greets me at the door, and he's limping on one foot. Um, apparently dude had like, they think he broke a toe. So while I was gone, uh, he was taken to the, uh, to the emergency room today, I think actually. So, um, shout out to everybody that looked after my dog at the emergency room. That was really cool. Going cool. So we got to take him back tomorrow. Well, that's good to hear, man. I hope he does well. Yeah, he'd be fine. Okay. Okay. And Livy, any shout outs? Unmuted. I don't think I have any shout outs. I know. A shout out to Kid Agra. Oh, dude, no, no, he's sleeping in this. All right, Del, you've had enough time, man. Yeah, give me something here. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna give my shout out to uh, my fellow Americans, both parties, for always keeping it interesting. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. Damn straight. It's, we we don't we don't do politics um in in the biomass sphere, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's certainly been a. A colorful week to say the least <laughs> so yeah um be safe and don't be insane regardless of what you believe or, or who you like um but my shout is going to actually go to heroes of the storm game designer nathan Lamuska. i know i butchered that name but he has been reaching out to the heroes of the storm form to ask the community for ideas on how to make a deckard cane uh, hero for heroes of the storm so if you're familiar with Diablo, the Diablo series, um, you know who Deckard Kane is, and you know why that's hilarious and amazing. So um, shout out to him for, for <laughs> community outreach. I, I don't know if they're actually serious about making a, a Deckard Kane character, but I would 
I would actually log out of Heroes of the Storm just to, to see that in action because it would be hilarious because, you know, Decker Kane is amazing. Um, but that being said, I, I, I want to thank everyone for tuning in either on the stream on Twitch or on our website or if you're picking us up on the recording on iTunes. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Once again, if you ever want to be on the show, feel free to hit me up at pokey.draven at gmail.com or you can go to... Um, our website and kind of get our information on Twitter or everyone else's email and just shoot us an email. If you want to be on the show, if you have a topic you want us to discuss, if you want us to do a certain Nova related discussion or dust 514 related discussion, feel free to let us know. We are more than happy to do it. Um, I love getting emails from listeners and it's, it's really good to see you guys support. So I, I do thank you for that. Um, but that being said, um, once again, if you're, you're out there, be safe and don't be crazy. And I uh, wish you all have a really safe and good week.